0: To the Lit and Lucid podcast, we are here recording episode thirty, the beginning of season three, with my co-host Jared Mason. What's up, Jared?
1: What is up? What is up, listeners? Thanks for joining us here on this uh, special episode thirty, season three episode here. Stoked to have you, and stoked to uh, to kind of you know be in this journey this far along with all you guys.
0: Yeah, for sure. So we thought today, since we are kicking off season three, that we would have the State of Cannabis address. Uh, we recently were able to visit Washington, D.C., and we really want to focus this season more on regulatory issues um, and you know various legislation that's being passed for cannabis and laws and things like that. So we're going to dive a little bit deeper this season into some of these topics. So we figured the State of the Cannabis would be a way for us to recap some of our favorite topics, expand on subjects we've been learning about so far, as well as offering insight into the industry from our point of view. So we're going to dive a little bit deeper into some past episodes and subject matter, as well as give you guys some preview about what's to come.
1: For sure. And I think a lot of this has came from the the broader purpose of of the Lit and Lucid podcast, and that's just to educate the viewers and... And Lucy and I sat back, and we're like, what are we going to do for episode 30? You know, I don't know, I don't know. Um, and after a while, it became apparent to us that why don't we share our experience? You know, we've had this this collective experience over the past six months or so that has definitely, you know, reshaped our, our thinking and reshaped kind of who we are. So why don't we try to, you know, share all that as a, as a collective unit and reshape, you know, the mindset of maybe our viewers too and our listeners. And, and uh, you know, DC helped to do that for us as well. and. And kind of shows that there's still, you know, a bigger picture to a lot of the the things that have to change. And, and, you know, we could, you know, there's been a lot that's been accomplished so far, but there's still definitely a lot that has to be accomplished down the road. And, And we want to start kind of leading some of that conversation of what's to happen down the road and how can you have a part in helping to change those things down the road
0: absolutely so with that let's just dive right in uh, you mentioned DC and you know giving us a broader point of view and I think you know we had a very unique experience that gave us some perspective on what's going on in cannabis legalization. Uh, so we were able to purchase some legal cannabis in DC while we were out there. And let me tell you, it was quite the experience. Um, what they have is an online ordering system. So it's, you know, you can get online and you know, look up cannabis, I don't know, legal cannabis, and there's a cookie company that comes up, and you're able to buy a $65 box of cookies, or you'll buy a 20, $124 box of cookies, and you click on, you know, the order, and you submit it, and they deliver it to your house. There was no form of identification. Um, it was really, it was like you just—I don't even know—like GrubHub for weed, basically, is what it was.
1: Yeah, probably not a, not a good GrubHub for that matter either. Um, You know, there's a lot of things wrong with that. Um, But before, you know, we go and sit there and blame the companies, I think, you know, it's, it's good that we, you know, we searched out why is that to be while we're in D.C. to try to figure out, you know, what are the answers behind that. And luckily, we were enlightened to the reasons behind, you know, why isn't cannabis where it should be in D.C.?
0: Yeah, so what a lot of people were telling us is while they did pass legalization in the district, um, since D.C. is its own entity, it's a District of Columbia, it's not a state, um, and it's, what, is it, what did they say? That it, the federal government was preceding their rules either way, or?
1: Well, because it's a district, it's not a state. Um, it's a special district for that. The Congress actually has to approve any laws when they're passed by the citizens. You have to understand that DC was never intended to house or to hold citizens, I guess, or have any residents of the district. It just somehow came to be over the past two hundred or so years that people have taken residence in DC. So any laws, you know, put into place in DC have to be voted on by Congress. Mm-hmm. Well, Congress is not going to vote on a, you know, marijuana legalization in their district when they, you know, are still holding down the fort of saying, you know, it's illegal nationwide. Right. Uh, so you can understand the uh, the problems there. And then also, there's uh, I believe the district is being sued right now in appellate court um, for legalization by another individual.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So what people have had to do is find loopholes around this system because the people that do live in DC did in fact vote to legalize cannabis, and as the, you know, the United States of America was set up. It's always we the people, so it's what the people want. So there's still ways around cannabis. It's just trying to you know legally acquire cannabis from what maybe Coloradoans or other states. With recreational cannabis, would be accustomed to it's definitely not that same uh, scenario in DC.
0: Right, yeah, there, there's really not very many dispensaries. I think there's a couple, and I think they were all medically uh, only, and then most everything else was delivery. And then the other interesting thing about it was you didn't get to pick your strain. You didn't get to really know very much about the product. It was literally click here, buy this, and it was going to show up at your house in 30 minutes and you took whatever the product was and you smoked it and you proceeded. There's no, you know, there wasn't very much information on the label. I don't think they're going through cannabis testing, things like that. You really had no control over your strain. So for somebody who, you know, maybe was using it for a medicinal purpose or was really looking for a specific effect, you really didn't have much control over that you were going to get whatever you know supply that they had on stock right then so that was definitely interesting so i think for people here in colorado who you know we've been really hounding kind of a little bit more on cannabis testing and really you knowing you know what's in your weed and things like that we have to come to the realization that there are other consumers that don't have that availability and that's really not their reality
1: very much and it, and it opened our eyes to other things that we may take for granted in Colorado that even in Colorado aren't perfect but uh, they're completely missing in other states still such as you know affordable or access to you know tested cannabis or affordable cannabis or at least you know having some form of identification for what you're buying or somebody to go back to at the end of the day and say hey you know maybe this product you know wasn't it wasn't good or something else right um, all things that you know if you don't live in a, a legal state you're not privy to
0: so that was cool. Um, we also were able to, you know, experience legalization in California earlier this summer as well. Uh, we went out to California during the time when California was getting ready to transition into new testing requirements. So they were having we went to a Medman in uh, Venice Beach and they were having a mega sale like everything was 70, 80 percent off. And for all you listeners out there, if you've ever gone to like Express um, during their sales where there's like t-shirts and tank tops and boxes and you're just like flailing through things, like looking for things, that's what this was. (laughs) So that was kind of funny. You know, here in Colorado, everything is behind glass. You're not like fiddling with any of the products or anything like that. They will hand them to you. Here, you were just able to like rifle through bins and find, you know, a 70% off joint. that was kind of our California experience. That was odd.
1: For sure, yeah. And there really was still no clearly defined places in California to consume cannabis either. So me and Lucy were in downtown Hollywood. We went to a dispensary there. I you know, can't think of the name. I apologize. But we leave and we walk out like nothing. So we're kind of used to being in dispensary and it was a great experience. And didn't think of it. And we walk outside and we start walking down the road and look at each other and we're like, well, where are we going to smoke this? At? Like, we're they're in Hollywood. Can you smoke this in Hollywood? How's the you know, how's the, the comfort around here? Am I going to get arrested? Or, so we go back in the dispensary and go to the front desk and ask the guy, where do we smoke this? And he's like, shit, guys, just walk out front and spark a joint and walk down the street. Who cares? It's legal. And we're like, okay. So That's
0: we just still found him. It was
1: still pretty skeptical. So we went and found a back road and walked down it and enjoyed it. We were still pretty sketched out. By no means would I say comfortably socially smoking in public or doing any of the aforementioned. So. Right. Very interesting. Um, but LAX i seen recently did allow consumers to take cannabis with them on planes as long as they're traveling within California or other legal states. Um, so that is a step forward and in, in kind of a, I guess, more of what you would think of as like a social use in a way that they're like socially accepting of the fact that people are going to consume cannabis and they want to travel with their cannabis. Right. You know, I'm pretty sure there's plenty of people who've traveled with shooters and bottles of liquor in their right. carry-ons before. And, um, you know, this is just the next stage in, in kind of uh, culture change, I think. So kudos to LA and LA there.
0: Well, I mean, even, you know, when we were in DC, you know, we were traveling and touring the Capitol and the White House and things like that. And I was kind of freaked out. I was like, you know, we're going to bring, you know, normally we would have our pen on us with a vapor cart. And I'm like, well, I still want my, you know, the cannabis while we're on our, you know, our vacation. So what are we going to do? And so I was kind of really worried about going through, you know, um, all the security and things like that. And we never got stopped. We had it on us the whole time. And I told Jared afterwards, I was like, I'm pretty sure these people are looking for guns and other things. They're not too worried about, you know, our vape pen on us while we're trying to, you know, enjoy the museums or what have you. So that was kind of comforting. That actually made me feel a lot better, you know, coming back from D.C. now and having that experience. Like, you know, I I feel secure, you know, bringing that with me.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, And I think that's just something, too, that individuals have to get comfort with. I mean, it's been such a stigmatized thing throughout the years that no matter what, you're going to feel kind of awkward doing it in public until you know maybe 10 years or so down the road and maybe in some places never. Um, But uh, it's good to see that it is changing in in different places.
0: Right. Well, so that'll bring us to our next point about social use. Uh, We've kind of debated the topic in the past, you know, talked a little bit about what's going on in Colorado. I recently saw uh, Kay Vaughn, I think he's going to be speaking in March about the downfalls and pitfalls of social consumption use in Denver. So I think that, you know, we still have that concern that we're not where we need to be.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think compared to where other places are are at in their their legislative processes now, I mean, Denver has completely and utterly dropped the ball on social use. And I think for being such a progressive state and really kind of standing on top of the mountain with the flag when they legalized marijuana and saying, hey, we're writing the framework for this whole thing, you know, look at us go, blah, blah, blah. For something like social use, they completely dropped the the ball. And I think down the road, it's going to become a black eye of Denver to how do they legalize cannabis, but then they basically put all the consumers in a huge loophole where now they have no place to, you know, I guess legally consume or or comfortably consume, I guess for that matter, um, at all. Mm -hmm. and so that's especially like in the tourists too for being such a you know a great tourist state they have really kind of put the tourists in between a rock and a hard spot between you know now they went to a dispensary do they consume in their rental car do they go back to their hotel and consume there and risk the fines you know they can't consume in you know the monuments or the public parks they're going to they can't consume on the streets they're walking down so where do they consume their cannabis
0: That's where I think these cannabis-friendly Airbnbs are coming in. And I think you're going to see a rise of that because these tourists have no place to go. And, you know, a lot of these companies like Lux Retreat, they're offering high-end transportation, like to and from the airport to offer you the ability to consume. It's a uh, cannabis-friendly space, so you feel comfortable consuming there. And, you know, they were telling us that's what visitors are coming for. Like they're coming here to consume. So offering these things are, are really what, you know, is going to be helpful for Denver.
1: For sure, but there's still the bigger picture that we have to look at that not everybody's going to want to consume at a Airbnb, so we still have to look for more traditional establishments, you know, much like alcohol has at a bar, right? or much like you go to a distillery for alcohol and they can go there and they can consume on the property distillery, so at some point, you know, you're going to have to, you know, provide regulations and, and some type of framework allow around allowing the same thing on the cannabis side, you know, allowing consumers to go to a cannabis farm and, and you know, kind of test the, the strains on site there much like you would at a, like a winery, a winery. Yeah. Um, or allowing bars where, you know, people can't consume cannabis in the bar and not have to consume it in a specific fashion or consume it, you know, under the table or out back or anything like that. I guess treat cannabis like, you know, it is alcohol at the very least.
0: Yeah. And I think that's um, what Andrew Muir is trying to do out in Vegas right now. He's starting to try to push, you know, regulations and really push um, Vegas to look at cannabis like alcohol um, and start to regulate it as such. And, I was even looking at something he did the other day and he was um, creating a plan where cannabis and alcohol would be offered at the same establishment under certain rules and regulations but he's just really just trying to normalize it you know Um, he was doing a poll like how how do you think um, people act on weed versus alcohol in a club setting and we even had that debate and conversation about it you know really thinking about it and You know, it's going to offer a different dynamic, but I think that if it's regulated correctly and, you know, safely, that it's probably going to be a good idea in the long run, especially for Vegas.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, I don't think cannabis consumption has to necessarily look exactly like alcohol consumption where you have to go sit around in a a club or a bar. There's other ways to have fun and consume cannabis, but nevertheless, you still need a public establishment where, you know, people can consume come in and consume cannabis, you know, publicly and not have to go through private events or know about it mm-hmm. privately or or feel like they're, you know, going to a speakeasy or something sketch to, to just consume, you know, something that is, you know, legal to use.
0: Yeah, and that's really been the struggle here, I think in Colorado this year is these private events. And that's really the only like loophole around being able to have social consumption, unless you're like one of these private membership clubs. Um, and it's hard, I mean, you know, Things like, like we were on the looper, we tried to take the looper, uh, Sensi and I, and that's something that in the past you just get on the looper, you can take it and consume and proceed that's what the looper was for and this last time they're like no if you're not on a pre you know established list you're not getting in and i totally understand why but you know for people that aren't in the know or for people who are you know coming in to tour they're not going to be aware of these types of things so they're going to miss out on those experiences so at what point does colorado you know want to you know inhibit our growth because of this
1: absolutely so Definitely something that, uh, you know, the city of Denver and, you know, the state of Colorado has to probably think about. And, and you know, if you're a consumer out there and somebody that's still passionate about cannabis, don't forget that the fight isn't up yet. There's still things that need to be changed. There's still things that need to be fine-tuned and, and kind of the edges kind of scraped off and, and, and shined up a little bit. Um, so, you know, celebrate, but also, you know, let's look towards a bigger picture, picture and start pushing this so it, it is more, you know, normalized and it is more of like a cultural thing and uh, easier to consume uh, for everybody.
0: And I think that that, uh, so in a future episode, we had Jordan Jordan Wellington on our show. He's from Simplifia, but he started his career writing legislation for the cannabis industry. And so just learning about that whole process makes this issue make more sense. So you know, Denver passed uh, Initiative 300 in November of 2016, and now we're what? November 2018, two years. But all the details that go into those rules and regulations and all the, you know, red tape that has to take place to get these things changed, it takes forever. It's a huge, long, drawn-out process. So while we could sit here, like, on our high horses, like, oh, social use needs to change this, that, and the other, there's so much going on in the background that we're not even aware of that even got us to this point.
1: Very good point, Lucy. And definitely, uh, I appreciated that insight because it even, like, showed me that, uh, You know, things don't happen tomorrow, and these things, there's like multiple steps from the point that it's signed into law or that, you know, the consumers or the people vote on it until it can actually be a real thing. You know, there's a lot of working groups that have to happen, a lot of different agencies that have to be brought on board, and they all have to communicate to each other in a consistent fashion to regulate it and enforce it and learn all the ins and outs of it. So it's not something that you can just, you know, vote into law in the middle of November, and it's, you know, you're smoking cannabis in a bar in December. (laughs) Right. It's it's not Totally, No.
0: For sure.
1: So, you know, we have to be uh, enlightened to that as well. So yeah. definitely stay tuned throughout the uh, this season to hear more from Jordan about that process. And mm-hmm. uh, stay tuned, hopefully, in future episodes. We can uh, give you some good news on some other people with uh, good social use laws.
0: Right. Only time will tell. Time will tell. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to the next topic on our list. Uh, what do you want to talk about? Some testing issues in cannabis?
1: Absolutely. So... Testing is the hot topic, no pun intended, no hot <laughs> test intended, even though there is still lots of hot tests going on in the cannabis industry um, and a lot of hot tests being covered up, I'm sure. So that is kind of the point of uh, our conversation here is there's still a lot that can be done on the testing side of cannabis. And it's one of those things, too, where I think, you know, it's, it's great that we have it, but it is no way, shape or form perfect. And I think that uh, either way, consumers have the right to know how the process is going down, uh, some of the shortfalls in the process, and also some cool parts of the process and the testing process that are that are pretty neat that are coming to your door hopefully soon that can make your experience a little bit better and more uh, hopefully your uh, your feelings more sustainable towards cannabis.
0: Yeah. So I think for like the layman, the gist of this is you know that. They wanted to create a regulation to safeguard consumers. So we, you know, when you eat an organic apple, you know and feel assured that it went through a specific testing process uh, to get to that point. And now it is a certified organic product and you feel confident putting that in your body. The same thing is gonna go for cannabis. Um, you know, a lot of people I found out, you know, they're, they're focused on non-GMOs and eating organically and eating sustainably. But then when we're consuming our cannabis, we're just going to the dispensary and looking for the biggest deal. And we're like, all right, sign me up and you don't know what kind of chemicals and pesticides have been used to create that cannabis plant. So the same exact uh, thought process goes for cannabis. So that's really what we're talking about when we're talking about testing. Um, States are doing it differently. We just were at a conference, the, uh, the Cannabis Sustainability Symposium, and one of the speakers was talking about how they test for mold but they only test for like two forms of mold or something and so if guess what if your cannabis has the other you know i don't even know how many strains of mold there are you're going to still consume that and you're not going to have any idea that there's mold on that plant so guess what you're going to have mold and you're going to consume it it's going to go into your lungs and we don't even know what the repercussions of those actions are but these are just things that we have to start to become aware of. I mean, I know that I never really thought about this until recently, like last six months, three months, probably. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, it's not. And, um, and I think legalization has brought with it a host of other things that with legalization, there's competition. Um, and we totally turned, you know, the black market, you know, cannabis business, if you want to call it that, into a very regulated and competitive uh, industry now to where companies have to find shortcuts to make sure their product still lands in the market. Um, companies, you know, have to do things out of the norm or do things out of the, out of the regulations to get things, like I said, so they don't lose money at all for the name of profit, essentially, and that's not good. Uh, mainly because who has to pay at the end of the day? It's the consumers that usually have to pay at the end of the day, and I'm not talking normally monetary games, I'm usually talking uh, with your health, and that's never a good thing. Your health should always be an number one priority. Um, so there's a number of uh, of a campaigns that really kind of push that you know the what's in your or what's in my weed campaign um, that's put on by the uh, the Cannabis Certification Council is huge, um, and it really that whole movement kind of opened Lucy and I's eyes to you know what are the testing programs doing out there where they where can they be better uh, where are they already kind of expanding their knowledge base at and you know how is our understanding of cannabis getting better through these testing programs and. Uh, we've got a number of really good listeners on, or not listeners, but uh, episodes on throughout the uh, throughout season three. You know, Confident Cannabis um, was one we had in season two, so definitely fall back on that one if you need to. But So one thing that we uh, also have to keep in mind is that there's no long-term studies on anything that's going on right now. Um, so even though you have, say, concentrates coming online and other different types of products, ointments, things like that, Uh, Although they're tested in the facilities and they're tested for certain things, such as microbials to make sure they pass a certain limit or they're tested for potencies. um, A lot of these things still have, you know, baselines that have just randomly been set. They're not really tested specifically on cannabis and they're still fine tuning them um, or they're gauging them off of other industries. And so they're not unique to cannabis because that data is not there. Um, Some other things with that, too, is that people will look at concentrates and. And inherently trust the concentrate more because maybe they think that it's concentrated so they've removed the bad stuff and i'm only smoking the good stuff now that's actually false that's not a real reality um what happens in most concentrate types is the if there's anything bad on the cannabis such as pesticides those also become a concentrate with your concentrate whatever you know if you're thinking that you're smoking a 99 you know thc distillate or something there could very well still be some bad pesticides in that other one percent or in a fashion that they can't even test for them. So keep that in mind and that's, that really lends into, you know, trust where you're purchasing your products, not just the dispensaries, but also the brands. Make sure they're a trusted brand. Um, You know, don't hesitate to vet them uh, on the internet or go to a dispensary and vet them. If they can't, you know, tell you enough about the product, then maybe you should find another dispensary because maybe the bud tender's not the best. But I really think, you know, you've got to take your own health into your own hands and understand the repercussions of You know, maybe, you know, not following the best intuition or the best route of advice and and researching yourself to understand it.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, check out the what's in your weed hashtag um, and that campaign that's going on. That's something that we're really trying to push right now is really just consumer awareness. And, you know, now the fact that you're aware that this is a situation and something that you, you know, should take note of now you can take action and incorporate that into your own life, whatever that means for you. Maybe even, you know, just once a month purchasing, you know, craft cannabis from a small grower or something like that, whatever it is that you can do to do your little point is what we need to move this movement forward. Like, you know, Jared said, and we were emphasizing, we just got started. Um, So, you know, this is a brand new campaign and, you know, issues that are just starting to come up. So imagine if, you know, we take note of it now where this can be in five, 10 years, we're creating the new normal.
1: Absolutely. And at the sustainability conference, it was big because it goes beyond just us, you know, talking about testing to, you know, what's the long-term impact of the cannabis industry? Even though many of us who are listening either work in the industry or we consume, we still have to recognize that you know, our consumption habits or our industry does have some negative aspects to the environment, maybe socially, maybe economically. There's things that aren't pretty with it. And cannabis, much like any other industry, needs to focus on the sustainability aspect of anything that they're doing, whether that's economically making sure they're conserving um, you know, money to to better compensate their employees and give them better bonus packages, you know, trying to do their part there to be more, you know, economically fiscal. Maybe it's socially and having a better, you know, community image or a better you know purpose other than just you know selling weed or creating a product of cannabis you know they have to be encouraging and helping people's lives they have to be benefiting the community pro- providing a positive impact to every single person that they uh they come into ca- encounter with
0: absolutely and yeah that's really what the you know symposium was focused on is corporate responsibility and sustainability and what are these companies going to do now to take them to the next level and to take this movement and cannabis consumption to the next level in a meaningful, sustainable fashion. We don't want this to be, you know, another big ag, big pharma, where it's just large corporate takeover. You know, we want to, you know, take maybe a step back. And even if it takes a little bit longer to get there to, you know, these big, large profits, we want to do it in a very sustainable manner. So cannabis, the cannabis industry can sustain itself for the next 100, 200, 300 years.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. and what was cool at the, uh, at the symposium was uh, there was a gentleman there from Molson Coors, and, or not Molson Coors. Um, Anheuser-Busch. Anheuser-Busch, that's right. And he'd been there for 30 years, and he was really the guy who implemented their sustainability program there and has been pushing it for the past 15 years. And his piece of advice from the start was don't wait like the beer industry did and wait till you're you know, 30, 40 years into it. No, start now so that you build a framework of sustainability from the start. Um, and that way you don't have to go back and change infrastructure or change all these mindsets it's already happening in the world colorado of all states is the leader in it so if you know if colorado is going to be the leader in cannabis it should also be the leader in sustainable cannabis in my opinion this is the only way to for a sustainable future for anybody is to have sustainable cannabis
0: absolutely love that
1: cool well (laughs) we are not done there at all there's still a couple more things one of the things that's it's always on everybody's mind when we think of the government and that is taxes the government's favorite thing to do is tax and um, rightfully so I mean there's a lot of good programs they put on that those tax dollars go to use for so cannabis was one of those it was everybody's way to kind of spend a positive on weed was to tax the hell out of it because we could use those taxes for schools we can use it for roads anything so what has cannabis become now it's become the highest tax sin item there is beyond um, gambling Uh, alcohol, tobacco, and now you have cannabis, which is, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, we'll look it up as well, the highest taxed item there is, which is huge. So we have to keep that in mind now that we can't keep passing laws to allow taxes on cannabis to increase. We have to be conscious of the fact that, hey, cannabis is already taxed to its max right now. And what we should be focusing on is trying to make this medicine and the recreational products more affordable for those who want to consume them and need them. And so we should be trying to do ways to stop taxing cannabis and making it more expensive and trying to either be more fiscal with those tax dollars or lower the tax dollars so that some of these companies and some of these consumers can have easier access to it. People are always complaining that they want the cannabis companies to do more, but there's a little-known issue that's called the 280E tax issue, uh, which comes about from the early days of, uh, of you know uh, racketeering and other types of, uh, of crimes Um where the government could actually uh, come in and, and seize the assets in a form of basically taxing these illegal operations. Um, well nowadays the, the federal government still applies the 280E TA, tax issue to cannabis companies. Um, and so a lot of the times their profits are actually taxed at up to an 80% tax rate, meaning that you know even though they made you know a decent or healthy portion or made anything at all, anything that they're making its income will actually be taxed. Along with that, a lot of the regular tax write-offs that businesses are used to, they don't have those luxuries, um, and so they don't really have a lot of things they can write off uh, for tax-wise, so they ended up having a much heftier tax burden. Um, so these things are still very legit issues that have to shake their way out, more on the business end, I guess, than the government end, um, but nevertheless, there's still issues that companies and now uh, today's industry face, and uh, there's still gonna be issues uh, tomorrow.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, that's a good point. And I mean, even with that, I mean, so you're looking at 20%. So you literally are left with 20% at the end of the day after you pay your taxes. I don't know any other industry in which that's their reality. Um, and that's also going to, you know, hurt, you know, employment as well. You know, if these companies have less money, they're not going to be able to pay their employees good wages. They're not going to be able to offer things like health insurance coverages, 401ks, things that people in other industries are very used to in our standard packages that are offered. So now you have also employees sacrificing, you know, you know, their own rights for, you know, the sake of cannabis. And it's because, you know, they're, they're worth it. I mean, you don't have very much to pull from at the end of the day. Um, I think even the other day we tried to figure out what was that, we like did this whole calculation about different ounce prices and we like figured out this whole thing and Still at the end of the day, we were, I don't even know what we concluded from that, but it's very expensive. And these companies don't really have much to work with. So maybe that is their only option is, you know, to just turn it around to the consumer and have the consumer pay a little bit more overhead. But then at the same token, that's not fair to the consumer. They should be paying, you know, fair you know, amounts for cannabis. So there's so many other issues tied into taxes besides, you know, the, what the corporations are seeing.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And, I, and there's even another type of, I mean, it's just called cannabis tax, but nobody talks about it enough because it's like, you know, it's like the bullies on the block that come and beat you up when you try to have a, you know, a shop there and they say, hey, you know, we're going to offer you protection, blah, blah, blah for, you know, hundred shillings a month. And if you don't pay, we're going to, you know, beat your whole family up. Right. Well, people, there's very much a thing nowadays when people go to either rent properties from people, there's what's called the the cannabis tax where it's, you know, it's, it's not a, you know, a net triple on, on the income. It's, you know, much more than that. It's where they're paying almost, you know, three times what any other leaser would pay for that property. Uh, it's just referred to as bucks. the cannabis tax. Yeah, because you're a cannabis establishment. Even so with companies who would go and try to pursue health insurance, we heard about it there as well, that, you know, they were just cannabis businesses and, so, you know, by the nature of them being a cannabis business, uh, we're gonna tax the hell out of them or charge them you know extra amounts for, for health insurance. The same with banking and the same with probably virtually every aspect of the uh, cannabis business is at a touch. Um, there's been an added cost to that just because they are a cannabis business. And that really needs to end. And I think as you know normalization happens, you know, socially and, and on the consumer end, it definitely needs to happen on the business standpoint as well. There can't be this, you know, black eye when you're looking at a cannabis business. They're very much a taxpaying entity like any other business out there and they have to operate within regulations that are probably well beyond most industries, if not all industries in the United States currently. Uh, So they should be, you know, abide of the respect they they deserve and be treated fairly like everybody else.
0: And I think that that brings up another large issue is that A lot of these companies are not going to be able to pay these taxes. All these small mom and pop stores, all these local businesses are not going to be able to sustain themselves. So what you're now starting to see is, you know, corporate cannabis takeover. You have large companies coming in and buying out these small dispensaries and opening a chain of cannabis stores um, because, you know, that's all that's left. And that's not something that I want to personally see happen. I don't think that that's going to be the answer. I, I don't really want to see that happen. But w- I feel for these people. What do they do? I mean, th- they want to make a profit too and a living as well. And they're probably just swimming right now in fees and you know all these regulations that they can't make it. And so these larger companies are coming in because, you know, they have a solid business model and they can just replicate it, you know, at different locations and just proceed. And they have the resources and the ability to do so. And that's a big threat and that's a big concern, I think, with cannabis moving forward.
1: Absolutely. And I think, you know, it follows a trend in most industries and, um, you know, the big fish eats the small fish. And that's that's not something that's necessarily good on any scale. Um, so, what we encourage anybody out there as a consumer, you know, if you have a favorite dispensary, a mom and pop you like, you know, go vote with your dollars and, and show them that you care about their business and maybe bring some of these issues up to them and then ask how you can help, you know, because we want to do, you know, we do want to see some of those uh, small dispensaries stay around because even Lucy and I shop at, you know, our favorite right now is Mile High Dispensary. I don't believe that they are a chain by any means. I so, so. I, hope, <laughs> I hope they stay around because uh, some of the chain dispensaries we went to have not been the most impressive ones.
0: Right. And that's a concern, you know what I mean? It goes back to the what's in your weed issue. When you're growing cannabis on a large scale like this, I mean, you would be naive to think that they aren't using, you know, something to allow this plant to grow equally across the board. I mean, come on now.
1: We could do better. (laughs) I think that is the all entailed summary of all of this is that we could all do better. Cannabis businesses could do better you know, I think the federal government can do better. We as cannabis consumers can do better by understanding our product, understanding where it's cultivated, uh, understanding, you know, is my butt tender giving me the correct information or maybe I should be doing my own research. Mm -hmm. Um, I think advocates, advocates can be doing better. I think by recognizing some of these things that are still important to the next legalization process and you know, as always, I think even I can do better on uh, educating and pushing forward things that I'm passionate about and that I think are extremely important to the future of the cannabis industry. And uh, I think this is my vow. And I don't want to speak for Lucy, but it's my vow to uh, to the listeners out there to do my part to make sure that these things that we brought up in this podcast that we hold you know near and dear are uh, you know taken care of in the future. And I will do everything I can to, to make sure they are.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, that's definitely been the goal of the podcast from day one is just to really consume, uh, you know, educate consumers and offer the best information possible so that people can make their own educated decision, but really just like bringing awareness to these issues. So yeah, thank you guys all for listening and supporting us so far. If there's any subjects that we haven't dove into yet that you're interested in, please send us an email, send us a DM. Uh, We are always up for new and exciting ideas and to have different guests on the show. Uh, So hit us up. I mean, we are in Washington, Oregon, California, Florida, Ohio,
1: Ohio, Ohio. I think Illinois, I think we cracked Illinois a little bit.
0: A little maybe Nevada. So we are spreading out, um, getting the word out, nerding out to get the word out.
1: For sure. So if you have somebody in your state that if you're listening in one of those states we didn't mention, or even if you are in one of those states and you have somebody that hasn't been on the show, do you think is a a great voice for the cannabis industry Uh, on either front, honestly, at this point, we'd love to hear them. So please do send us an email, uh, get in touch with us somehow, find us on Instagram, find us in person. I don't know, but get them to us and we will uh, make sure their side of the story is heard and, and uh, do our part to push forward.
0: All right, you guys. Well, thank you so much. Um, I think you should have some good episodes lined up here for season three. So stay tuned for those. We have some really good guests coming up and we hope you enjoy.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for uh, for being here, being a part of it. Enjoy season three. It's going to be fun. We'll be back here for the start of uh, season four shortly. Enjoy the uh, enjoy the episodes in between, y'all.
0: All right. And with that, I'm Lit. I'm Lucid. And that's it.
1: Laters. This episode of Lit and Lucid Podcast is produced in partnership with YouHoo Creative and Design. Yeah.
0: YooHoo Creative specializes in marketing, social media management, content creation, and other creative needs.
1: YouHoo, helping your company become who you need to be.
0: If you're interested in learning more, hit us up at creative at gmail.com.